0: All right, well, let's get us a songbook and let's stand together. Turn to number 443,
1: 443, Sunshine in the Soul. There is sunshine in my soul today, O'er glory and bright? and glows in any earthly sky for Jesus is my life oh there's sunshine blessed sunshine when the peaceful happy moments roll when Jesus shows his smiling face there is sunshine in my soul there is fear in my soul today, a carol to the key and Jesus listen, he can hear the songs I cannot sing. Oh, the sunshine, blessed sunshine, when the peaceful, happy mothers roll, when Jesus shows. Place. There is sunshine in my soul. There is springtime in my soul today. For when the Lord is near, the dove of peace sings in my heart. The flowers of grace appear. Oh, there's sunshine, blessed the peaceful happy moment roll, when Jesus shows his smiling face, there is sunshine in my soul, there is gladness in my soul today, and hope and praise and love, for gladness
0: good to be in church this morning. I'm glad to see you. It, I tell you what, this sickness has done us a, a number. I, it's this first time we've had this many people gathered in a while. Amen. It's good to see so many faces. It really is. I'm glad that, that you're well and you're able to be back with us. Or if you're not 100% well, I'm glad that you're better. Amen. And I hope you don't cough on nobody. But anyway, we're glad you're here. Praise God. And, uh, and praise the Lord for that. It's sure good to see the family of God gathered together. Amen. Prayer requests this morning? Do we have any? Go in. Yep. We're a little up. We don't want to fall off
1: the deal. <laughs> no, we don't. I just fall around a little
0: bit. You strap yourself to that bench. Let <laughs> 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 we'll me tie you there. Yeah.
1: She fell right on here on the floor before. Really? Yeah.
0: I'd be all gone. Yep. Yeah. She like fell on the floor. Well, pray for her. She, her vertigo don't get stirred up.
1: My sister's oh, yeah. having her hip surgery Wednesday.
0: Okay. All right. Well, yes. Remember to pray for Miss Eva. All right. Yes, mom. Yep. Mom went and visited her sister on Friday. No, oh, no, it was Thursday. Thursday. And, uh, she's on hospice care. Y'all please pray for her. Uh, Miss Mary Ruth Norris and, uh, her daughter Carla and, uh, Carla's not, in, she's not in good shape either. It's just a sad situation. But, you know, the consolation we have, they're both saved. And we know where they're going. And, uh, and, and as far as we know, you know, her husband was saved too. And so he's in glory. So she's she's looking forward to going to be with him. And I know she's looking forward to that. she got much left in this world to look forward to. But pray for her. And God will give her mercy and grace throughout this this time. Um, yes, Diana Phyllis, remember to lift him up in prayer as well. Anybody else? Yes, I'm sorry.
1: Also, um, for my sister, she's been moving, and she already dilated, so she can like thirty
0: minutes. Oh, that's right. That's so, right. Um, and
1: then for myself, I got a double infection, and yeah. I just
0: I stayed well, it. We certainly will pray for you, yes, ma'am. Um, <clears throat> Anybody else? I, yes.
1: I'm glad,
0: and I'm there. I'm glad.
1: I'm.
0: I'm glad you're better too, sister. Yes,
1: Jackie.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Those up there in Idaho, right? Yeah. Pray for those families. Pray for them to have comfort of the Lord. Uh, we need to do one thing before we before we pray. We didn't do this because she wasn't here. <coughs> But I'm a square play sister. You don't have to worry about that. But she wasn't here on January the first. She ain't been here. Goodness, it's been two weeks. You've been gone. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, Miss Charlotte had a birthday, and we didn't get to sing to her. It's still her birthday month, so we'll go ahead and do it. Y'all ready? Happy birthday to
1: you. Happy birthday.
0: Praise the Lord. God bless you. We're glad you're back. Amen. That's good. That birthday song gets them little ones so bad. I don't know why. Okay. All right. Anyway, we're gonna to go to the Lord's prayer. We're gonna ask God to uh, hear these requests and, and answer them. So you you pray with us. Don't just stand there and listen. You pray under your breath silently, whatever. Praise the Lord. There's power when we pray together. So let's pray and ask God to deal with these things. Robert, lead us. Amen. You can be seated. Right, let's turn over to 333. 333. He's the lily of the valley.
1: I have found a in Jesus. He's everything to me. He's the very substance, fountain to my soul. The lily of the valley, in him alone I see. All I need to cleanse and make me woolly whole. In sorrow, he's my comfort. In trouble, he's my faith. He tells me every care on him to roll. He's the lily of the valley, the brightest morning star. He's the very stuff and thousand to my soul. He uh, all my griefs has taken, and all my sorrow's born. In temptation, he's my strong and mighty power. I have all for him forsaken, and all my
0: idols born. From
1: my heart and now he keeps me by his power. So all the world forsake me, and Satan kept me sore. Through Jesus I shall safely reach the goal. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of his thousand to my soul. He will never, never leave me, nor yet forsake me here. While I live my faith and do his blessed will. A wall of fire about me, I've nothing now to fear. With his manna he my hungry soul shall fill sweep sweeping up to glory to see His blessed face, where rivers of delight shall ever roll. He's the lily of the valley, the brightest morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul.
0: He sure is good, I know that. Amen. Never get tired of my Lord and Savior. Amen. Every day with Jesus, as the other song says, is sweeter than the day before, praise God. Turn to 305, 305, praise him, praise him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer.
1: Praise him, praise him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. Say oh, earth is wonderful, love proclaims. Hail Him, hail Him, highest archangels in glory, strength and honor give to His holy name. Like a shepherd, Jesus will guard His children in His arms. He carries them all day long, praise Him, praise Him, tell of His excellent grace Praise Him, praise Him, ever in joyful song. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. For our sins He suffered and bled and died. He our rock, our hope of eternal salvation. Hail Him, hail Him, Jesus the crucified. Praise Him, praise Jesus, is for our sorrows, love unbounded, wonderful, deep and strong.
0: Praise
1: Him, praise Him, tell of His excellent greatness. Praise Him, praise Him, ever in joyful song. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer, Lord, O Slavic, O reign. Jesus, Savior, reigneth forever and ever. Proud Him, proud Him, prophet and priest and king. Christ is coming over the world victorious. Power and glory unto the Lord belong. Praise Him, praise Him. Tell of his
0: excellent praises. Praise him, praise him, ever in joyful song. Amen. He's surely worthy of all our praise. Turn to number 65. Number 65. We'll sing Near the Cross. Amen. That ought to be the cry of our heart, Lord. I don't want to wander from your side. Keep me near.
1: Jesus, lead me near the cross. Oh uh-huh.
0: Okay. All right. Thank you. You bet. Take your Bible this morning. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we will start there at the first of the chapter, and I think we're going to try to go through verse 8. I'm not positive. I'd like to cover the entire chapter today, but I can tell you right now that's not possible. There is too much there. Matter of fact, I could probably break this thing up into four or five weeks if I really wanted to, but I want you to get it. I don't want you to forget what we're talking about in the process. But there is so much we could look at. As you will see, this is one of the most important passages in the New Testament, honestly, uh, regarding the future of the Lord's church. All right? Second Thessalonians. Chapter two. Verse one. And I, I'm gonna say let me look here what I got. Yeah, through verse eight. We're gonna go through verse eight this morning. So let's go ahead and let's read there. Chapter Chapter two in Second Thessalonians, chapter two, verses one through eight. Paul said, Now we beseech you, brethren and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things, and now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now, let's go ahead and stop right there. We're going to pray and we'll get into it. And we'll, finish, we'll try to finish the second half of this chapter next week. But again, I don't want to rush through this. There's no reason to rush through this. We I want you to understand it more than I want us to feel the satisfaction of reading the chapter. So we're just going to take our time and, and let's pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father in heaven, Lord, I love you so much. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Father, that when we study it, Lord, we get understanding. Lord, we 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 see a little clearer the picture that's ahead of us. Father, I pray this morning that as, that as we come to the to this time of gathering around the Word of God, I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would, Lord, that you would open our understanding, that you would allow us to receive from you. Lord, we realize we can't get anything. We can't do anything with this if you're not involved actively in our understanding. Lord, help us to remember that as we're sitting there listening, that we can't even listen right without your help. We need you to help us to understand these things that are that are beyond our comprehension at the moment, because we can't fathom what it'll be like. Lord, I pray that you help us to gather these things, these thoughts, and understand your word, understand the language of it, understand the intent, Lord, that we might have peace in our hearts. Lord, I pray, Father, that you give us peace, and Lord, that you teach us today, and we'll give you praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, praise the Lord. This, is, this chapter, again, this chapter is one of the most important in my mind um, regarding the future of the Lord's church. It answers a lot of questions, and, and, and there are a lot of questions out there. There are a lot of different views. There are, uh, again, there's almost as many different views on this as there is different denominations of, of believers. But I'm not worried about what everybody else believes. I'm only really concerned with what the Word of God is teaching I I I could care less what everybody else thinks. It's really what God has to say. But as as we get into this, let's kinda of, let's kind of back up just a little bit and remember what we've studied so far in this letter. And chap and this again, this letter is divided into three sections. Uh basically chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. But within section one, chapter one, we could say the title of that is Hope and Persecution because Paul's writing uh, back to this church, he's heard that their, their troubles have even gotten worse, but they've stayed faithful. And so he, the first part, verses 1 through 5, was about being patient in tribulation, not giving up on God just because you're going through it, finding that peace that the Holy Spirit of God gives in the midst of trials. And then the second part, which was last week, verses 6 through 12, was on judgment for the persecutors, where, where the Lord was telling the, the, the church of Thessalonica, through the Apostle Paul, don't worry uh, you're going through this, but believe you me, this is just a, this is he called it a manifest token, which basically, uh, it's basically evidence that God is going to judge the people who are doing these things to you. They're doing it to you because they hate Jesus. They're doing it to you because they don't understand, because they don't want Jesus. And because of you going through this, you're suffering, and it's not uncommon for you to suffer because Christ suffered for us. And if we're identified with him. It's not uncommon for us to have to go through some suffering, to go through some persecution, to go through being around people that don't like us, people that want to do us wrong because we're a believer. That's not uncommon. This world hates our Savior, so our association with us, with him uh, it, it brings us into some of that hatred. And so he tried to he tried to make it clear to them, you know, don't get down. Listen, we've got we've got glory to coming and this world is going to end and everybody's dreams in this world that don't know Jesus are going to go down in flames but yours you got heaven to gain. So anyway, let's get into chapter 2 and as we get into chapter 2, let's just let's just uh well let's again we read it but uh but let's remember what was said here. Okay? Let's just get let's just go ahead and start from the start there and, let, and let's kind of go down through it. Uh he says he says now we beseech you now, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me stop. I'm going to go slow through this. I'm going to take it line by line. I'm not going to jump ahead. I'm not going to read a bunch. We're going to go little by little here. He says, now, I beseech you. That word beseech, if you don't know what, how many of y'all know what the word beseech means? Okay. How many of you don't know what beseech means? It means beg. Okay. I'm begging you, brethren brothers and sisters at the church of the Thessalonica, I'm begging you, uh, I'm begging you what? I'm, I'm, I'm begging you, and what am I begging you by? I'm saying in light of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? That's, that comes from a Greek, a coming of our Lord Jesus, a coming, it comes from a Greek word, uh, parousia, okay? And what it, it means the visible return of the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven. He's saying I'm begging you, in light of the fact that the Lord is visibly coming back from heaven, okay? And he said, and by our gathering together unto him. Now, what does that sound like the other? That sounds like we're going up, right? Okay, all right? That means our, our gathering together, that word means a complete assembling together. So you've got all the dead in Christ coming up out of the grave, and all those that are alive and remaining going up to meet him in the air. So that's a complete assembling of all the saved. All right, and all those that have that have already died. Listen, all those all those those souls are coming back with the Lord, and we're going up. So it's a complete assembly. Based on that, he said, "I'm I, I'm 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 coming to you, and I'm begging you." First uh, Thessalonians four seventeen talks about that gathering together. We saw that in the last book. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, speaking of those who died already who are raised to meet the Lord in the air, and so. Shall we ever be with the Lord? Now that's caught up there in chapter four, verse seventeen of First Thessalonians. The word there for that is harpazo. Harpazo means to snatch out or away. If you ever see somebody fishing, or if you've ever been fishing, you got your, your line out in the water, your your bobber's sitting there and you say a fish is messing with it, it keeps messing with it, it keeps messing, with it, and then all of a sudden it goes under. You snatch that line up. What are you doing? You're snatching that fish up out of the water, right? So you're catching that fish away. And that's what the Bible talks about when it says here, we shall be caught up together. Uh, God's going to just snatch us plum up out of this world. I mean, we're just going like that, like God just yanked us out of the water, okay? And so anyway, the same word or the same idea is used. Uh, it's used by a Philip. Y'all remember in Acts chapter 8, verse... Thirty-nine. Where Philip he left he left heading uh, south because uh, God told him to leave a revival in in Samaria and go, and so he goes down toward Gaza, if I'm not mistaken, and he he finds that uh he finds that that, that well-to-do fellow in, in his chariot, and he's going along there, you know. He joins him there and he he witnesses to him, and uh, and then as soon as he gets saved, he, he baptizes him. The Bible tells us in, in Acts eight thirty nine, and when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord brought away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. And the Bible tells us that when, he, when the next time it mentions Philip, he's about forty five miles away from where he was. God just snatched Philip up and put him down over here. I mean, I, I know it sounds odd, but I mean it was kind of like you know you see on Star on Star Trek where it, Beam me up, Scotty, and they beamed me back down. God, God snatched him and put him back there. But, but that again, that, that Harpazo, that snatching away, that catching away, that idea of of, of a rapture is in the Word of God. In Paul, in Second Corinthians twelve two, he talks about when he was stoned in Lystra. He said, "I knew a man in Christ above fourteen years ago, whether in the body." I cannot tell. Or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. He said, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Because you know why? Because he'd been stoned, and he had no idea where he was at, in the body or out. But he said, God knoweth. For such a one caught up to the third heaven. So whenever he was stoned, God snatched Paul up out of his body to the third heaven. 2 Corinthians 12:4. two verses later, how that he was caught up in the paradise and heard unspeakable words which is not lawful for a man to utter. And let that be a lesson to you. These people that say they came back from heaven and they're telling all these stories, God says there's things up there that ain't lawful for nobody to utter. So don't believe them. It's all nonsense. <laughs> but anyway, so why why has he beseeched these brethren, begged them in light of the Lord coming to get us? Verse 2, he says, that you be not soon shaken in mind. That means overthrown, he did not want them to, to walk away from their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not want them to turn their back on Jesus and give up. That you be not soon overthrown or shook up mentally to, in your mind. He said, or be troubled. He said, I don't want you to be frightened. I don't want you to be troubled in your mind. Now, why would they be frightened, overthrown, shook up mentally, or troubled in their minds? He said, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us. So what was happening in the church at Thessalonica? There were people in the church who had come in who was claiming to be controlled by by the Spirit of God. They were claiming that God was speaking through them, and they were telling the people there, y'all have missed the rapture. Christ has come. It's already done. Y'all missed it. Too bad. So they they were in a panic, you know. They, they these people are claiming whoever's saying this is claiming to be speaking of God. They're claiming a divine revelation, but let me tell you something. They were speaking from a devil. That's what they were doing. Just listen. The Bible tells us to try the spirits to see whether they be of God. Don't think for one second the devil can't use somebody to tell you to tell a lie to you, and they'll smile right in your face and tell you a lie. The devil the devil's a liar. He's a, he's the father of all lies. So yes. It's not uncommon for him to walk right into a church house and tell somebody lies. So uh, you've got to be careful to make sure what somebody's telling you lines up with the Word of God and not what somebody just believes. Okay. <clears throat> but anyway, so so that had happened. People had claimed that God was speaking through them, telling them that they had missed the rapture, that it was all, they were they were already uh, in tribulation. So here they're freaking out. They don't know what they're going to do. Uh, and he said, and, and not by word. He said, so they, they people stood there in the church and told you lies? And he said, nor by letter from us that the day of Christ is at hand. So obviously somebody had wrote a letter to that church posing as Paul and telling them, uh, you know, you just missed it. Too bad. Sorry. We, you know. And so they were scared to death. They didn't know what to think. And I want you to notice there that it says that as that the day of Christ, is at hand. Now, that is important, that phrase, the day of Christ. It's also, that, that day is also mentioned in the New Testament as the day of the Lord Jesus and as that day. I'll give you some examples. First Corinthians eight, Paul said, who shall also confirm you to the end that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we're called to stand before him, we'll be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. First Corinthians three thirteen. Every man's work shall be made manifest. This is talking about the judgment seat of Christ, which takes place after the rapture. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. Okay? Again, this is all concerning around the coming of the Lord Jesus to take his church out. The day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. When will that happen? After the rapture of the church. 1 Corinthians 5.5, five. to deliver such a one unto Satan, this is, talking about, this is talking about the young man in the church at Corinth, and he was having a, an immoral uh, affair with his stepmother. Okay, uh, this horrible affair was going on in the church, and Paul said, "Hey, y'all need to get him out of your church because uh, you know sin gets sin spreads. It's like a it's like a virus." He said, and, "You know they were allowing that to go on. People at the church knew he was he was having an affair with his stepmother, but they they just oh well, they must have had money, you know. Maybe they had money. A lot of times when there's a rich, very wealthy family in the church, well, a lot of sin gets overlooked because that family's." making such great contributions to the church and whatnot. I've been in a church where that happened. but Not that circumstance, but those kind of things were happening. But he said, listen, deliver such a one unto Satan. That means put him out of the church. If he wants to live that way, he can go live that way, but don't do it amongst y'all. He said, deliver him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Because why did he say that? Because sin will kill you. That's why. And if he wants to keep on living in sin, then he's going to suffer the, he's going to suffer the punishment of God for it. And, and God's liable to take his life. Turn him over to the devil. Let the devil have him if that's what he's going to do. But he said that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, isn't that odd? I, I know I'm jumping off course here, but I just want to put point that out to you, what Paul said there. Even though this man was living in sin at the moment,
1: it was, even though
0: he was having an affair with his stepmother, which is an atrocious thing to begin with, Paul's still saying this fellow was saved. He was saved. Even though he's living like an ungodly sinner at the moment, he's saved. And he said, We've heard, we, we, we can't tolerate that behavior in our church, so we need to get him out of our church so that he doesn't corrupt the rest of the members of the church and do things like that, thinking that it's okay because we're tolerating him. He said, put him out and Satan will have his way with him and run over him roughshod. He may die out there, but at least he will be saved. At least he will be in heaven. That's what he's saying. And he's saying that, that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So when Christ comes back, even though that fellow lived that way, Paul said he's going up. He's going up. Second 2 Corinthians 1.14, As also have acknowledged us in part that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours. He's talking about those he led to Christ in the day of the Lord Jesus. Again, we're standing around, we're standing around the throne of God. We're there. With the Lord Jesus in heaven, he's saying, you're my rejoicing. How brought you? You're here with me because because I, Jesus used me to lead you to him. All right? Philippians 1, 6. I got a lot of these, but I'm almost done with them. Uh, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Well, he's going to work in me until I'm no longer here anymore. Where am I going when I'm no longer here? Uh, okay? Okay. Philippians 1.10, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Uh, Philippians 2.16, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Second Timothy 1.18, the Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. In how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. Speaking of Onesiphor, Onesiphorus. 2 Timothy 4, 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. All of these verses are unique to the Apostle Paul. But he's speaking about the same day. All right. So he tells them, don't don't get so worked up thinking that you have missed it. All right? Look at verse 3. He's reminding them here, there are some things that must take place before that happens. Verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means. That day, there's there's that day again. That day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition okay so this verse verse three tells us two things must occur before the day of the lord and the time of judgment can start okay the first thing is the falling away all right this this word is literally it means the apostasy okay which means a falling away or a departure The same thing here means to depart from in a doctrinal sense. It means to walk away from what you believed. Paul was telling the Thessalonians that this day of the Lord cannot come until there is a widespread departure from the true faith of God. Some people have understood the term apostasy to be a physical departure of the church itself or the rapture since the rapture will be a physical departure of believers from the earth. Now, I've read that a number of places in a number of commentaries trying to make this word, this phrase falling away mean the rapture. Because a lot of them, they they think that's what it means, okay? But I don't believe that. I reject that, and here's why I do. I'm going to give you several reasons. In the classic Greek, the word apostasia was used to denote a political or a military rebellion. Okay, so we're talking about a rebellion, uh, not a leaving. In the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, apostasia is twice used of rebellion against God in Joshua 22:22 22, 22, and in Jeremiah 2:19. In Acts 21:21, 21, 21, the only other use of the noun in the New Testament, apostasy, it refers to spiritual departure from Moses. The rapture is not think about this. The rapture is not an act of departure by the saints. Okay? We don't say, Oh, it's time for us to take off. We don't leave. Listen, no. We're passive in it. He comes and gets us. We don't say, Oh, it's time for us to go. So it's not an act of departure. We're not departing that he's coming and taking us out. It's not so it's not the same thing. And in Second Thessalonians 2 1, Paul referred to the rapture as our gathering together to him, okay? So it seems strange to use the unlikely term the apostasy for the same thing right here in the same verse in the same context. Why would he change words if he means the same things? I mean, the the Bible talks clear and it talks often about there's an apostasy coming. We know that. Second Timothy four one through three. The Bible. Paul said, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, is appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They won't hear it. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, they want to be told what they want to hear, not the truth. Okay, so that's warning that that's coming. And I mean, we're living in that age. We're living in that day. I mean, we're, we're close to, to all this that he's talking about. Second Timothy 3, verse 1, and then verse 13. He said in verse 1, This, know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. We're definitely living in perilous times. He said, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. So it ain't going to get no better. The news is not going to start telling us good news. It's going to continue to get worse and worse. Evil men and seducers, those are those who try to pull people into sin, along with the evil men. And, and, and again, deceiving people and being deceived. They can't understand the truth, and they're dragging people further from the truth. Second Timothy 4, 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They won't hear it. Don't preach that blood in here. We don't want to hear that blood. You tell us good things about us. They'd rather hear Joe Osteen talk about what a wonderful person you are than hear about how wicked you are and you need to be saved through the blood of Jesus. Again, this world doesn't want to hear that message anymore. We're very close to these things that God is describing here through the Apostle Paul. He said, They'll turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And in Jude... Uh, Jude chapter 1 or only chapter verses 3 and 4 and Jude by the way is many call it the, the entryway the vestibule or the foyer to the book of Revelation okay so here's what it says in Jude beloved when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you or encourage you that you should earnestly contend for the faith, so you're up against a fight. You should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Faith, what in what? Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone and him and nothing else. For there are certain men, un- crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness or to wickedness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So, again, Paul's dealing with that already. Paul's dealing with wicked men who crept in unaware into the church of Thessalonica. It's only been there for less than a year. I mean, who knows? They have been there very long. But they've already come in and began telling lies. So he said those things have to take place. The second thing that must occur before the, man, before the day of the Lord and the time of judgment can start is the Bible says the man of sin be revealed the son of perdition, that word perdition. Understand what this means. It means destruction, consisting of eternal misery and loss of eternal life. So the son of perdition. This, this, is, this is the man that the devil is going to use. Amen. He is, the, he is the physical body that Satan is going to inhabit. He's referred to here as the man of sin, Because sin is his chief identifying characteristic. (laughs) You think about it. Somebody said, You know, boy, 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 he's a a wicked old sinner, man. He's the worst sinner you've ever seen. That's how they're going to identify. His life is characterized by blasphemy, arrogant sin, and rebellion against God. (laughs) So these things those two things have got to take place. The Bible says in verse 4 that he opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worship. He thinks he is greater than God. He, he claims to be greater than God or anything that is worship. Now, you say, who is that? I don't know, and you don't know. And as they say, none of God's children know. But anyway, i got a good guess. You want to hear it? I can tell you my guess as to who I think it very well could possibly be. And again, you know, this and dollar fifty gets you a big cup of coffee. So don't take it, but but this is what it is. It's my opinion. But but if I were to look around this world right now and try to take a guess at who the Antichrist might be, I'd pick a man named Yuval Noah Harari. I bet y'all know none of y'all know who he is. Well, Richard knows who he is. I think that we talked about him a while back. You all know a Harari. Who in the world is he? Well, he's described as a historian, a futurist, a philosopher. He's a best-selling author. He's a World Economic Forum advisor. He's a secular humanist and a sodomite Jew. He checks off a lot of boxes. Let me tell you a few things he's talked about. He talks about humans are now hackable animals, no longer subject to the intelligent design of some god above the clouds, but subject to our intelligent design, man's intelligent design, he says. We're not subject to a god above the clouds. He goes on to state that the idea of humans having free will is over. He says, today we have the technology to hack human beings on a massive scale. He also says this, which is very interesting to me. He said people could look back in 100 years and identify the coronavirus epidemic as the moment when a new regime of surveillance took over, especially surveillance under the skin. I wonder what he means by that. On transhumanism, so what is transhumanism? That's the merging of machinery and humans, okay? He speaks on that subject. He said, once you really solve a problem like direct brain-computer interface, then brains and computers can interact directly. For example, to take one example, that's it. He said, that's the end of history. That's the end of biology as we know it. Nobody has a clue when that went – nobody has a clue – when what will happen once you solve this, once you connect a computer and a human brain, nobody said, that's the end of history. Because from there, it changes. Everything changes. Biology changes. Everything. He said if life can basically break out of the organic realm into the vastness of the you know, inorganic realm, in other words, machinery, technology, you cannot even begin to imagine what the consequences will be because your imagination at the present is simply organic. You can't understand what it would be like to be a machine. Now, whether 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 he's the Antichrist is beside the point. I don't know he is. I have no idea, but he speaks like Antichrist. He has the spirit of Antichrist. He opposes and exalts himself above all that's called God. Just as we, we refer to Christ, the man of sorrows, because he endured much sorrow, so this person is a man of sin. He's all about sin. That's all that's in his life. His life is characterized. By blasphemous, arrogant sin and rebellion against God. Again, he's the he's a he's an advisor on the World Economic Forum board. That's a man named Klaus Schwab. He's the guy that that said here a while back, by 2030 you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. In other words, they're going to take everything from you and you'll just have to deal with it. This guy said that there is a whole lot of useless, worthless people on the on the planet that must be dealt with because we're about to go into another. Industrial revolution with technology And all these workers will be unnecessary And they'll just be in the way So he's he's looking toward an eradication Of a lot of people So he, he sure certainly sounds like Antichrist But I, again I can't tell you the he is or isn't But again Verse 4 continues on and says So that he as God sitteth in the temple Of God showing himself That he is God Okay so that tells me That there's a third temple That has yet to be built and that temple has got to be built for this man to sit in the temple showing himself that he is God or pretending to be God. But, and again, it hasn't been built yet, but they're in preparation for that third temple. All the furnishings have already been made, and they are preparing stones for it even now. Priests are being trained, and they're trying their best to breed a spotless red heifer. I talked a while back about how they brought some from Texas but I found out since then that they can't accept one from Texas because it was born outside of Israel and it perhaps maybe had a yoke on it or whatever. They have to. It has to be. It can come from that bloodline, but it has to be born in Israel. So yet they're still working on that, even though they brought some in who who appear to be perfect. Um, but again, they're, they're training the priests. They're trying to get the red heifer for the ashes. And the coming man of sin is going to sit in this temple and he's going to desecrate it in the most holy place. This this man has not been revealed yet and he won't be revealed until the world is neck deep in apostasy. <clears throat> you may think it is right now, but there's churches on every corner. There's still people preaching the gospel. There's still people getting saved. Can I share with you some good news? Uh, just two, three days ago, in Rockville, Texas, which is down on the border, Mexico border, I believe it was Rockville, uh, Brother Leo Lytle and his wife Valerie, they'd left out going to El Paso, that direction, along the Mexican border. And they stopped there in Rockville, had no appointments, nobody they were meeting or anything, they just stopped on the side of the road and set up their, their crosses and everything. And over the course of that day, you ain't going to believe this number, they saw over a hundred people get saved that day. A hundred people. People just showed up. Groups of people, crowds of people, started gathering around his trailer, and he's having to preach to a crowd here and then get over and preach to another crowd here. They they never seen anything like it. And I I saw Brother Byron this morning, you think about how many churches spend untold amounts of money uh bringing in preachers and making everything just right for everybody where they can gather and. It might have one, one saved, might have two get saved, might have a rededication, and we rejoice over that, and that's great. They didn't set up no meeting. They didn't do nothing. They were just obedient to the Lord went out, and God, God gave them revival on the side of the road. So don't think we're there yet. We're not there yet. We haven't reached the apostasy that Paul is talking about here. It's coming, but we're not there quite yet. But soon after the rapture, This man that he's talking about is going to come onto the world stage, and he's going to try to calm down the chaotic mess that's left after millions of people suddenly vanish. He's going to stand alone as a singular voice that unites the people of the world. He'll win everybody's approval. And like Germany followed Hitler, the world is going to follow right after this man. Verse 5, Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. You know, it's truly amazing. He was only with them for nine weeks. Think about that. That's not a very long time. That's just a little, that's, a, that's, that's like between tests at school, you know. That ain't very long. I mean, just think how much, think about how much information you get in nine weeks in school, okay. Think, imagine trying to get everything that, that has to do with Christianity in nine weeks. Nine weeks is not, is not long. But Paul, in nine weeks' time, he, he not only taught them the doctrines of faith in the Christian life, but he taught them prophecy as well, he got him—he got it embedded into him. This prophecy, he, and he's refreshing their minds here on things that he's taught them. Okay, that's all. That's what he says. He says y'all remember, I taught y'all all that about what's going to happen. So he—he he went through a—he went through a, a course on prophecy with them. Verse six, he says, and now he know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. Now. This is this is where it gets crucial to your understanding of this. Okay, so he's saying, listen, he's saying to the church, he said, so I've already told you these things, I've already taught you these things. What's going to happen? And he said, now he's, I'm reminding you because why? Because somebody came in and lied to him, and mixed him up on everything he had taught him. Somebody came in and tried to tell him you missed the rapture, you missed it. You're living in the tribulation. So he's straight to me, he's like, remember what I taught you? He said, and now you know what withholdeth. And that word withholdeth there, it means hinders or or restrains. Now you know what's holding back, holding back everything, that he, that's the Antichrist, might be revealed in his time, okay? So what's holding back that that, that Antichrist might be revealed? Look at verse 7. He said, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. The mystery of iniquity. That's something that was secret. That's something that nobody everybody didn't understand okay there are all kinds of secret things going on that everybody doesn't understand okay that there's there is uh there's all kinds of secret clubs out there that men belong to and people don't know what they're doing what they're up to there there's something called the Illuminati I don't know how many of y'all know what that is you probably heard that word mentioned but what that is that's just a bunch of satanic luciferian people who are working to bring about one world government and they've been trying to do it for a very long time and their families have passed down this ideology to their children and their children have passed it on to their children down through time powerful men are passing on this this idea and this and these these knowledges of these secret uh these secret witchcraft type things that they're involved in and and they're working for their future what they think a group called the club of rome There's a group that meets called the Bohemian Club. There's the Trilateral Commission, some of y'all have heard about. That's government, but that's a big part of it. The Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, There's just a myriad of secret societies out there that are all working together in the shadows to try to bring about world government and domination, the control grid, and basically the loss of all our rights, and we'll be beholden to one man. They're working on that. I saw Obama give a speech before he was ever elected the first time over in Germany, and he was talking about, we got to follow the plan, the one plan. When he said the one plan, they all knew what he was talking about. They know because, again, they're a, more or less a godless society over there. He, uh, Europe has become a godless place. But all of these societies owe their loyalty to one place, and that's Babylon and the original Antichrist, Baal or Nimrod. They all look back. That's where they look, they point their allegiance to. All of them worship Lucifer. And this man of sin that we're talking about, again, he's going to be Satan in the flesh. He'll be Satan's counterfeit Messiah. He'll come and he'll, you know, again, he's going to come. On, the Bible talks about that white horse. He, he, he comes on a white horse, but he's, he's, he's the first of the, of the four horsemen. And, uh, again, Jesus Christ comes on a white horse. It's no surprise to me that the Antichrist also comes on a white horse because he's trying to mimic or trying to mock Jesus Christ, trying to be in place of Jesus Christ. But in our text, Paul calls him the son of perdition, the man of sin. He tells us that he opposes God. John tells us in Revelation 13 that Satan gives him his power. He gives him his throne and gives him his authority, and he opens his mouth and blasphemies against God. Daniel tells us in his book, that he's going to speak out against God. The mystery of iniquity is found in the acceptance of the false Messiah by a world that has rejected the true Messiah. Why? I mean, it is a mystery of iniquity. Why would they not believe on Christ who who, who, who did everything according to the word of God, every jot and tittle, everything? He did everything, fulfilled all prophecies, fulfilled everything, and they're rejecting him, but yet the Antichrist will come, and they'll just, oh, yes, you're what we've been waiting on. I watched a video the other day. There's some guy over in Israel right now that they believe is the Messiah, that he's sitting around quoting a bunch of scripture and stuff and saying a bunch of goody-feel-good stuff, and they just, oh, they're oohing and on over him, all these rabbis with their black hats and their long beards and curly sideburns sitting around just just fawning at his feet. Now, he's probably not the guy, because the Bible says that many of them are going to come in his name. So I don't, I don't get worried about them. But uh, but anyway, Jesus said, I am coming in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you shall receive, you receive, John five forty three. Jesus is the personification of goodness. If you had to sum it up, that's Jesus. And he's rejected by men. The man of sin is the personification of evil, and he's hailed by men. So there you see what the kind of world we're living in. The, the verse goes on to say, only... Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now, what does that mean? To let means to restrain or to hinder. Okay. Well, and I've given you the example of somebody standing in the door of a of a club where there's a velvet rope, and man's letting some in, and he's not letting others. He's he who letteth. He's the one who hinders with the rope. He said, no, you can't go further than that. But and that's that's an illustration. But let's I'd rather go to the Bible on this. Okay, well who restrains or hinders sin and Satan? Well, Genesis 6, 3, and the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. So who is holding things back? God. My spirit shall not always strive with man. Job 1, 9-11. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge? about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. So God is a restrainer. God holds back sin. God God holds back Satan. All right, it says, until he be taken out of the way. He lets until he be taken out of the way. Some have argued, though, that we're insane for suggesting that the Holy Spirit Can be taken out of the way. They say, God's omnipresent. How are you going to take God out of the way? He's everywhere at the same time. That can't be true. Okay? It is true that God is omnipresent. I agree with that 100%. He's everywhere at the same time. And it's also very true the Holy Spirit's always been present on the earth. Always. It's also true that he's worked in times past. But on the day of Pentecost, he came in a special way. Was his presence always here? Yes. But he he literally came to this earth with a purpose on the day of Pentecost. Christ. Christ has always existed. Christ was there at, at, at Abraham's tent and dealing with Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah when the three angels appeared. One of them was the angel of the Lord. And Jesus appears all through the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. But he also came into the world by way of the Virgin Mary, didn't he? That doesn't change his nature being omnipresent. That doesn't say, well, Jesus wasn't omnipresent because he came to earth and he wasn't in heaven. No, he's still omnipresent. Uh, And it doesn't change his nature any more than it does the Holy Spirit. So in a special sense, Jesus left the world, ended back into heaven, even though he said, behold, I'm with you always, right? So, again, in very much the same way, the Spirit of God came in a unique way on the day of Pentecost and now indwells the Lord's church and is present in the world the restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit through the Lord's church. Look here. <clears throat> all us believers down here, God is working through us, okay? And, he, and his presence down here on earth in his church, this is the restraining force on earth. God's power works through his people, all right? So the presence of the church is the restraining force that refuses to allow the men of, man of sin to be revealed, because again, the, the the restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit through our through the Lord's church is going to end on earth when the rapture occurs and we ascend into heaven. But He'll still be here. But it's the Spirit of God who's the restrainer. It's not us. We can't do it. First Corinthians three sixteen says, "Know you not that you are the temple?" of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. We're simply the the house that he lives in. First Corinthians six nineteen, it says, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? You put all the believers on earth together, inhabited by the Spirit of God, and you've got quite a restraining force. When the Lord catches his church away, the Holy Spirit goes with the church as far as the restraining power goes. The age of grace will have ended at that moment. The Holy Spirit of God will still be here. He'll still be here at work on earth, but he's not here in the restraining capacity that he was before. Without that restraining power, this world will be released to sin as it never has before. There will be no believers down here to influence the world at all. I can't imagine waking up in that world on that day. I mean, there won't be any good cops left stopping crime. There won't be, there won't be anybody who cares anymore. It'll be whatever you want to do, you go right ahead. But better watch out because I'm coming too. I'm going to get mine. So you got to watch out for everybody in that day because everybody's just running, running loose and doing whatever they want to. When the restraining ministry of the Spirit of God is gone, it'll be as if they let all the cages open at the zoo and the wild animals are running in the street. And lawlessness will run wild in that day. I can guarantee you that. And verse 8 says, and then shall that wicked be revealed. And then what? And then after the restrainer is removed. Again, he can't come forward until we're gone. But once we're gone, and then shall that wicked be revealed. whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his covenant. I'm going to stop right there this morning and we'll pick it up from there and we'll look at it. But I want you to I want you to quickly before you close your Bible, I want you to look back right there at what we just read. Okay? I want you to look where he says, Let no man deceive you, verse three, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, and the son of perdition. Okay? And then when he gets down here and he says, he says, And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. So we understand it's it's, it's the church. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now leteth, he who holds back, will let till he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed. Now, why are you reading that again? Because I want you to understand that when you read verse 3, independent of the rest of it, you get the idea that the Antichrist has to come first. Before the rapture and that's not the case. It's the language that's confusing the way it's written I find a lot of times when I read old messages by Charles Spurgeon the way he says things I mean he's just in England in the 1800s But the way he says things is backwards from the way we would say it here He's saying the same thing but the way words it's backwards and a lot of times when you're reading the scripture You need to consider these things because again the way it's worded may be It may be backwards, but once you look at it. You see that it makes sense All right so anyway so then shall that wicked be revealed. Praise God. I ain't gotta deal with Antichrist. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's stand together. And we'll pick up next week and we'll we'll take it from there. And next week we're gonna understand some things. We're gonna understand that that when you when you don't get saved when you have the opportunity to down here, you ain't gonna get another chance once once we're gone. Somebody who's down here and has heard the gospel and maybe came all around and said, "Ah, I'll get saved someday." Well, as soon as they're gone, as soon as we're gone, there won't be no more chances because they've already heard it. We'll get into that next week. But I want—I just want to urge you this morning. I want you to—I want you to think. You know, we don't know how much time left. We don't know how much time we got left. The time is short, so that means we—we we need to be busy because there's a little much work left to be done. There's so many, I mean, you just look out at this world as you drive down the street and you see people walk by on the sidewalks as you go through stores and you see people walk past you. How many of those people are saved? How many of those people are going to burn forever and ever and ever? Let me just close with this talk. I watched a video yesterday morning. It was of a seven-mile hole that they dug down into the earth. Deepest tunnel that had ever been dug into the earth. And when they finished that hole, they dropped a microphone down to the bottom of it. And they played and said, now whether this is real or not, I couldn't tell you. But I'm telling you what I heard. They played the recording from the bottom of that hole. It was screams like you've never heard in your life. Just the roar of screams. And he said, well, is that hell? I don't know. It very well it could be. I know the Bible says hell is beneath. I know one thing. From what I heard down in that hole, I, I, I wouldn't want to be in going to that place. There's so many people. They so me and even if that's not hell that's sure a good representation of what I think hell might sound like and hearing those screams it just made it just brought it all to the forefront and made it just so real before me people are literally going to be in there forever forever without end there's no way we can comprehend that there's no way we can wrap our mind around somebody suffering unbearably immeasurably forever and if we don't warn them the blood will be on our hands. We've got to be better at warning people about what's coming. There's judgment coming, and salvation is full and free through Jesus. We've got to be faithful messengers. Let's stand. We're standing, all right? We're standing. I don't have to say we're standing. So we're standing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we're going to sing a song of invitation, and we're going to ask God to uh, to work in our hearts this morning. If, he, if there's something we need to do, let's come and do business with God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. <laughs> Father in heaven, Lord, I just love you and I thank you so much. I ask you, Lord, to, uh, Lord, bless us, bless us in time of invitation. Father, I pray that, uh, Lord, you speak to hearts this morning. And, uh, Father, I just pray, Lord, that, Lord, if there's something that somebody needs to do this morning, if they need to come and, Lord, confess some sin in their life, Lord, that's holding them back and hindering them from walking with you, Lord, I pray this be the day they do it. Lord, if somebody just needs to just come and make a total rededication of themselves to you, Father, somebody here that's not sure they're saved, whatever it might be, Lord. Maybe somebody just wants to uh, dedicate themselves to a, a, more, a more faithful walk with you. Whatever the need, Father, I pray this be the time, and, Lord, this, this be the place. And, Lord, I pray that you work in hearts, work in lives. Lord, make us realize the time is short, and we have so much work to do. Draw us to that. In Jesus' name we pray.
1: Amen. What number was
0: singing, sister? 153.
1: 153. Let's turn there this morning. Stand.
0: surrender all. But once we do, there's no limit to what God can do. And again, I hold up my friend Leo as an example of that. He and his wife Valerie are two of the most humble people that I know. They don't they're not they're not after the fancy things of this world. Most everything they buy is hand me downs. They're not concerned about having wealth. They know that their true wealth they're laying up in heaven right now. And I want you to pray for them. They're on the road. They went somewhere to church this morning, and they'll be heading out after that. And they're heading on their way across the bottom of Texas to El Paso. Pray for them to have safety. Pray for God to continue to use them and them see many souls saved. Because you know what, we got a vested interest in that. I noticed in a lot of them pictures and folks holding them little blue books up, them little New, John. I mean, them little, uh, them little New Testaments that we that we send down to them. So we, we're gonna keep sending them they doing, they doing more good than most missionaries, I know. If we had we had, we had 10 missionaries that worked like Valerie and Leo, they know telling what we can do. And I just praise God for them. You pray for them. And you pray, God, lay on your heart something you can do to be effective for Jesus while you're here. All right? Let's do that. Let's pray and ask God, what can I do, Lord? Show me what I can do. All right, I'm going to let you go. I'll